I'm Hippa Shunbo and you're with me at Mommy's Happy Hour. As you might have heard me say already, motherhood was and is the most challenging thing I've done to date. After a long struggle with infertility, I had my twins at 41. Three and a half years into motherhood, and one season of my podcast later, I host like-minded, strong women on my show who share their stories, and if and how they strike a balance between motherhood, marriage, work, friends, and self-care. I have no experience other than the fact that I'm struggling to keep my sanity through all the chaos, trying to multitask between being a mother, a wife, a daughter, a sister, a friend, an entrepreneur, all while trying to stay in shape and be the best version of myself that I can be. We set the bar so high these days and we're all trying to be perfect. Fuck perfect. As Brene Brown puts it, imperfections are not inadequacies. They are reminders that we're all in this together. You can connect with me on Instagram at mommies.happyhour and if you know someone who would be interested in listening to today's episode, and something tells me that everyone would be interested to listen to this episode, please share the show with them. I'd really appreciate it. Now here's a topic I love pondering about but don't necessarily always like talking about. Sex. I mean, if sex drives everything we do, then what does the lack of sex do to us? Personally, I don't have the energy nor the time these days to put in the work. However, I secretly think to myself, if I were to engage in some great sex, maybe that would motivate me to get into shape, lose the mom belly, and take care of myself a little bit more? Who knows? But for some reason, being comfortable and best friends with your partner isn't conducive to being in top form. With all the roles I'm juggling between these days, who the hell has time for sex anyways? Am I to believe that my husband and I are the only ones not having sex? That's what I'll try to uncover today with our guest, Tara Galliano. She's a sex empowerment coach based out of San Francisco and the author of Rediscovering My Body, a book for women who want to reconnect with themselves sexually, intimately, and as Tara puts it, harness our femininity through sexuality. It wasn't like I was dreaming as a child, oh, I'm gonna be a sex therapist one day. <laughs> Because we didn't talk about sex in my family at all. And I remember like having sex for the first time and my parents found out because it wasn't like anything that I told them about or wanted to openly share with them, but they found out and their reactions were so adverse. My father was like, I've got a shotgun. And my mom was so like, don't do it. I was raised Catholic. So it was really this pervasive unitarian unilateral front of like shut it down which is funny because my parents were divorced and were divisive on all topics like I was trying to think they didn't have any anything that they really agreed upon that was the only thing they agreed on that was the only thing they seemed to agree upon and they both said the same thing from their own apartments and I thought that's fascinating so yeah so it's not some this is not a profession that I dreamed of and for a long time I was a clinician I am still licensed as a professional counselor and a certified sex therapist and now as a sexual empowerment coach there's more engagement and so I can say more freely about things that I've experienced things that I've shared things that I know to be true. And for me, that's so important because my work is about embodiment. It is about what's true and lives in the body. And if I don't reference my own experience, then I can't really speak freely about it because it's not even in the space. And in the therapeutic relationships I was creating prior to today, they were really about a different modality, a different medium. Now, If you've ever watched any new movie 
or any new series on Netflix or hung out with any of your single friends, you'd think that everyone is having sex all the time, right? All I seem to be exposed to is sex. The new must-see movie starts off with a steamy sex scene. Every conversation with a single friend revolves around the string of women or men that they're dating. And all I hear about these days is friends with benefits. So naturally, it seems as though I'm the only one not having sex. My husband and I have been married for 10 years. Our twins are three years old. We work full time and are usually back home by 7 or 8 p.m. So the closest we ever get to having sex is actually watching a sex scene on, yep, you got it, Netflix. Don't get me started on those sexy covers. My husband and I have to scroll right past while deciding what to watch most evenings because God forbid either one of us get a little horny. Personally, I'm way too tired to have sex. Especially that quickies are not part of my vocabulary. Those were great during that courtship time when everything was new. But now, after 11 years together, in between laundry, putting the kids to bed, and my nighttime routine, quickies are virtually impossible. My idea of a quickie now is eating that brand new ice cream flavor I hid in the freezer that I bought earlier today at the supermarket. In a society that is rife with contradictions and non-transparent about the sensitive topic of sex, where yes means no and no means yes, when I actually confront my partner with ouch or what are you doing, by his reaction, I can only think that he misinterprets what I'm saying as a sign of pleasure. He seems to have surprised me with something new and novel, but I want to know. I really do. Are we the only couple having sex a mere five times a year? Is it about quality or is it about quantity? How do I get an honest answer? Will anyone give me a straight answer? I can't help but need to desperately look for a benchmark to gauge our sex life against. And to do that, I usually resort to my most trusted confidant, Google. So Google, how often should my husband and I be having sex? The answers come up. According to David Schnark, through a study conducted with more than 20,000 couples, he found that only 26% of couples are hitting the once a week mark, with the majority of the respondents reporting sex only once or twice a month or less. Okay, so my husband and I aren't too bad. We fall in the majority category. Another tab reads, Dr. Kerner says, quote, sex seems to be rapidly falling to the bottom of couples to-do list. I believe that sex matters. It's the glue that keeps us together. And without it, couples become good friends at best or bickering roommates at worst, end quote. Hey, I'm okay with having a roommate I never did in college. So I call it making up for lost time. I don't know, what is the normal amount of sex people should be having? I love that question because everybody wants to know, am I normal? Am I normal? Because if they're having sex every day, then I'm not normal. Exactly. Some people, some people are like, some people act like they're having sex very often. And I'm thinking very often, is that more than five times a year? That's very often for me. And then at the same time, is everybody having such a great time and climaxing? I mean, I'm, it's like almost impossible for me now. Yeah. Well, good to know. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that happens when we get into this dynamic with our partner, uh, we've been married a long time, we're parents, we're comfortable with each other, we're friends, but all of a sudden this lover piece gets kind of stale is what happens is that we stop exploring our own sexuality and understanding our own pleasure. And then we put it time, uh, put it oftentimes on the other person that it is 
for them. So I'm placing my expectation on my lover to know what pleases me when I don't even know. I've changed. I've had babies. I've been married for a couple of years now. And now I'm placing it on my lover. He should know what I want. But he doesn't know what I want because I don't even know what I want. And the opportunity that we oftentimes don't take is to have that exploration because the exploration begins with us. And where do we experience pleasure? And it really begins with basic things like sensual pleasures of, I like the smell of wine, or I love the taste of chocolate, or I like a slow touch on my arm. And what I find is that when we come back to the sensual self, then the sexual self becomes a little bit more accessible. But when we start with the sexual self and feel like, okay, I should be having sex more than five times a year and having mind-blowing orgasms multiple times, or at least every time, then the expectations are so far above here and we're down here, like this feels unattainable and we're never going to get there. So the opportunity is to start where you're at and like, oh, notice the simple pleasures and where you can experience the sensual bliss. And it is about slowing things down and heterosexual uh, intercourse usually lasts from from beginning to end or beginning to climax, it's like five to seven minutes. That's what it takes for a man to, to get off essentially. But for women, we are often not even aroused until 20 or 30 minutes. So foreplay isn't really foreplay, it's essential. It is part of the sexual interaction that women need to be stimulated continuously, intimately, emotionally, probably 24 hours before any penile vaginal contact happens. And that is a true thing. So did he make you breakfast? Did he bring you flowers? Did he open the door for you? Did he mow the lawn? Whatever is the foreplay that you like that sets up a good emotional context. And then when it gets to being the physical context, is he kissing you? Is he romancing you? Is he seducing you? because all of those elements are really important. And when we're in our courtship, we remember those things. And when we're in a long-standing committed relationship, we all of a sudden forget those things. So the novelty of a new relationship every two years, yay, because after two years, the honeymoon effect ends and the hormones go back to normal. And all of that neurochemical cocktail that made us high is gone for the most part, two to three years. And that's the long end. Sometimes it can be as quick as three to six months. So it depends. Yeah. I've had those three to six months. Great. And then after that, I'm like, yeah, this is not going to go anywhere. But yeah, the thing is I have to admit too, I think sometimes I've tried to breach the topic with my husband and it just feels like he's kind of embarrassed. And so I also, I mean, I feel, I feel bad because he's certainly like, if I'm having sex five times a year and like, that is like, I'm like, you know what? I'm great with that. Anything more than that is way too much work. But I'm sure he really kind of, there's kind of a void there. So it's like, I also understand that he probably wants certain things that that I'm not giving him. But at the same time, when I ask, there's like this like discomfort, like, mm, does that mean that we're not aligned sexually? Or does that mean like, I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm thinking, is it because we're not there and that's we're not really well matched in that sense? Or is it, does everybody need to work really hard at it and, and kind of, I mean, how do you approach it when, when your husband doesn't really want to talk about it? I think that that's a great question. I think 
Well, there's many different aspects that are impacting that conversation. So oftentimes, we don't know, we as women don't know, we as men may don't know either. And to be in the unknown is a scary place. And I would say, especially for the masculine, or for, especially for men, because they pride themselves on knowing. Yeah, I know, I know. And to not know is an uncomfortable place. And oftentimes they may feel less than, because I don't know. And when it comes to sex and sexuality, that is a particular area where men can feel self-conscious and feel more, mm, I'd say ego-based, that they, sh they should know, even though there's been probably no education, no open conversations, and no real transmission of value, that the knowledge has not been transmitted of how do you make love to a woman. Oftentimes, at least here in the United States, people men in particular find their education through pornography because people are not talking about it. What I find is that people are more inclined to, to do it than to speak about it. It takes a whole different level of vulnerability to have words and fluency and confidence to speak about what pleases you and what, what you would like more of. And I think oftentimes that's where the conversation just needs to begin there. I love it when you touch me here. And that feels so good. And when you touch me here, if you can touch me a little bit softer, what a great invitation. So now you've affirmed what it is that he's already doing that he likes to do, that you like him to do. And then you've given him a little bit of instruction. Don't do that in the bedroom because then that'll just blow up. Do it outside of the bedroom or wherever you're having intercourse that you do it while you're having a cup of coffee. Like let's after dinner, you put the kids to bed. We're just going to have a conversation and just affirm. I like this. And if you could do a little bit softer, that's even better. And let's try it now. And you can, oh, and I'll tell you, this feels good. And mm, that feels even better. Really important to give positive affirmation because nobody wants to be criticized and nobody wants to be criticized about sex and sexuality, because they're already really uncomfortable in that area anyway. So it's normal to be uncomfortable. Actually, I just realized it's you, you. Yeah. You know, in men, it's all about their ego, because I think my husband always talks about like at the beginning of our relationship, how I was so open. And so and like I was the sex was really good. The sex was really good because I orgasmed more often, obviously. But that was because it was new. And it was like you said, it was novel. And it was so I think now the fact that I'm not interested in very much, that probably kills his ego a little bit. I'm sure it does, yeah. <laughs> but I think, I don't know if that's true, but I would think that we're a little more complex. For me, exactly like what you said, I can't just be like, there has to be like, like in now, there needs to be like foreplay of like an hour at least for me to like to be. Great, good, you know that. But otherwise it's like this, like kind of like, oh, I'm kind of horny, let's have sex. I'm like, no, no having sex five times is because every touch then becomes a demand for intercourse. If you were able to touch each other and just experience the loving touch and know that it doesn't need to go to intercourse, you would have a much different experience and that your touch needs or your sense of intimacy would be fulfilled in a different way than his and he might enjoy that as well. And then you actually might be more inclined to fulfill some of his sexual needs because men feel intimacy through sex often. And for women, 
It is the emotional connection that helps them feel intimacy. And then from that, they may feel aroused and feel sexual. It doesn't always lead like that, or it's not always that linear progression. But oftentimes, say by and large, those are the gross generalizations. That's what women want. They want more emotional intimacy, and men want more sexual intimacy. What's your advice to a woman who doesn't know how to breach that topic with her husband or with a husband that is a bit more close-minded about that and doesn't really want to talk about it? Yeah, then don't talk about it and say, hey, I would like to try something tonight with you and then show them what it is that you want and make sure it's what you want. So take the information from your self-pleasure sessions and translate that for him. So light a candle, draw a bath, burn some incense, tell him to get into the bathtub and slowly wash him. When was the last time you just washed your husband? And do that for 15 or 20 minutes and wash his hair and give him a massage and towel him off and say, that's what I wanted to do for you tonight. And that's it. And see where that lands. And no, I'm not giving him a bath. I'll massage. I'll give him a massage, but I'm not giving him a bath. <laughs> but okay. Um and how often do you think we, that we should do that as couples? As soon as you get into the should, then it becomes problematic. <laughs> how often can you feel inspired to give that? Okay. So, yeah. So there's no, there's no, not necessarily like a, because it seems like I always feel like there needs to be more, it should be more often than not, but you're saying just whenever you spontaneously feel in the moment, then you should go for it. Yes. And it's okay to set a date too and say in you know next Tuesday or on the 15th of the month because it's nice to set a day because then you've scheduled it and you can plan for it you can do something with the kids you can make sure that you're ready that day that it is an event like this podcast that you put in your schedule that you can schedule something for an hour or for, or for an hour and a half that you can really make the intention. And what happens then is that you give yourself the opportunity to build anticipation. You give your partner the ability to build anticipation, which is often dormant too, because that's activated in the courtship. But after that, in longstanding relationships, we don't live into that as much. And that's sexy. So like date night and then kind of after that, do something different. Sure. Or make date night the different thing. That's a good idea. I'm going to try it out. I love it. Can't wait to hear all about it. <laughs> Is anyone out there as curious and uncomfortable as I am about the whole pornography conversation? From brief discussions I've had with my guy friends, all men seem to watch porn. But how much porn is too much porn? And how much does porn actually distort relationships? Are they good for a relationship? Personally, I have first had an experience with this one. I was in a relationship with a man who seemed to be addicted to it. I define it as an addiction because he was checking it out daily, plus that it seemed like the fact that he was never getting enough. The act of sex felt more like a question of frequency rather than intimacy. Hence, the emotional connection eventually died. So, was this a case of too much porn that distorted his benchmark for what a healthy sex life should be like? Or is it just a matter of preference? Or was it that we weren't sexually compatible and that I didn't satisfy his needs? Who knows? Will I ever know? I think everybody has their own per 
personal preferences. I find that a lot less women use pornography, but it's also the way the brain is wired is that men are visually stimulated. So women wear lingerie, right? So men watch pornography. And because of that visual stimulation that happens in the neocortex, they get aroused. It's like, oh, okay. And for women, that's generally not as profound, again, because they like the emotional intimacy. When women connect to their partners and the front of their body connects to the physical body of their partner, that oxytocin is released and oxytocin is the bonding hormone. Men have similar hormone, vasoprin, and that's kind of their version. But within 30 seconds, there's this attachment that's happening and it's a beautiful thing. And women need that and men need that as well. And I think the opportunity around pornography is to have the conversation and to come into the conversation without judgment if you can, but really with curiosity about what does that do for you and how does that work in our relationship? And is that foreplay for you? Because if that's foreplay for you, that's great. But what I need for foreplay is this. And the thing about pornography is that it's absolutely pervasive. And because we don't speak enough about sex and we don't know our own um, desire and our own pleasure, that we use pornography as a, as a crutch and that we use it for information. And that's how we're educating our youth. Many, 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 many young people can say, I've watched pornography. And less of them can say, I had healthy sexual education. I knew how to make love to a woman. I knew how to make love to a man. I knew about the courtship process. I knew about seduction and romance and flirtation. No, because nobody's teaching that. Nobody's even using those words. And so what do we get? We get pornography. Depending on how much you use it, I think it can be slightly detrimental. I mean, especially if it's something that doesn't resonate with you. It's like if something's way off, I'm like, no, that doesn't sit well with me. If it doesn't feel comfortable for me, it's, I'm not going to force myself because I know that it's not going to be pleasurable for me. So I find that pornography can be a problem. I don't know if it's a problem in the US, but I feel it's a little bit of a, a problem like in, in the Middle East where it's like people don't really talk about it, but yet there's like this this like aberration or perversion in some sorts, which doesn't make you really connect with your partner. But I think, I mean, obviously I know that all men watch porn and I think there, you know, a normal amount is healthy, which I don't know what the normal amount is as well. But, but, you know, like, but if it kind of takes precedence over your relationship and not connecting with your partner, which I find in a lot of cases it does sometimes when it's excessive, then that is a problem. Yeah. And that is the problem that pornography and the usage of pornography, I would say is the symptom, but the problem is a disconnection that happens within the relationship. And having said that, what they've found, they've done many, 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 many studies around pornography usage and the wiring of the brain. So what happens is the neural pathways then get created where this is the way that men, and I'll say men, experience arousal because of overusage of pornography. And then what happens is that they then have not developed other ways of becoming aroused. And that becomes problematic. Whenever we have a default energy that we use exclusively and don't expand our repertoire, then we're narrowing how our brain grows. And it needs the neuro, you know, the neurodendrons, the 
uh, myelination of the brain needs to grow and expand. And when we stagnate it by just fortifying one pathway, that's when it becomes problematic. Whereas a man who has used pornography in the 50s, 60s, or 70s, when it was just a visual um, and not the the images from a video, um, and it was on a you know a piece of paper, that what could happen then was that they could engage the image on the piece of paper, but then they also engage their imagination, and then they still have the connection to you know Sarah next door, and then they can imagine that, and so there was a lot more creative use of the brain. And the brain is the most important sex organ. That is the, it's not our genitals, it is the brain. And so the overuse of pornography, yes, that is the detrimental piece when it is the only way we know how to get off. And then how it impacts the rest of our relations, just with our partners, how we begin to objectify women, um, then, yeah, and then the unrealistic views of sex and all of that. So that becomes a problem. But if we're able to talk about it, and to really identify the real problem of I'm afraid to be intimate or I don't really know the skills. I see them in this movie and my skills are not like that. So I don't really know how to please a woman or I see how I can please that woman in that video and I can do that maybe, but I don't know how to please this real life woman flesh and blood in front of me who's given birth to my children. It's a much different game. And I think to be that vulnerable is a very courageous thing. And oftentimes we don't, take that risk because we're scared. We're scared. I guess I know what you mean about the brain being like a sex organ or something, because I hate, like when my husband is like annoying or he's like snoring all like through the morning and he's not helping me out with the kids or he's not being switched on. He's not switched on with me and he's up there. It kind of turns me off. I'm like, kind of like, yeah, no, I don't want to have sex with you. I'm like, you know what I mean? It's like, I feel like I want him to, you know, step up. And that's why maybe as parents, it like feels like that's why since becoming a parent, it just makes me feel actually, I've had like negative sex drive because of that. It's like, I feel like I just want you to kind of listen to me, be there for me. You know what I mean? And that would make me really feel connected to him probably emotionally and therefore more sexually. And how have you told him that? I've never told him that. Aha, so he needs that information because he doesn't have a clue. That's the other thing. He has no clue. But if you were to tell him that and tell him in a positive way of, wow, when you got up this morning and helped out with the kids, that was really hot. And wow, maybe we could have sex tonight. Like, you know, if that's the case and you're feeling a little bit turned on because that was sexy, then you can let him know. And the positive affirmation goes a long way. But right now, he is clueless, clueless, clueless. He's going to listen to this podcast and learn it. Yeah, I'm going to make him listen to this. But like when he snores and then I force him to wake up and then he wakes up and he's just like, and like blowing his nose and all these like, and he's like, I have allergies. I was like, fucking hell, you've had allergies for the past five years. Okay. I don't want to hear about these allergies again. Okay. I'm like so tired of hearing the snots coming out of the, oh my God, it's just so annoying. So yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, it's really a turnoff. And like, and that's the thing, what I'm saying. Okay. So how honest are we supposed to be with our other half? Not that honest, right? <laughs> but my colleague would say brutally honest. And I feel like, oh no, I, I feel like there's a, there's an edge where some things are really helpful to say and other things aren't really helpful. And if it's a deal breaker, then maybe he needs to know, but if it's not a deal breaker and you can the other way that you need to decide what it, what it is that you can negotiate and what's non-negotiable. 
I think also, I mean, that's also one thing, body image and sex. I mean, as a woman, I'm sure, I mean, after I've had, after I had kids, I kind of, you know, like I'm now getting back into shape, but it's like, it took me a while. And it's like the first year I was really, it was really hectic with twins. So I lost most of the weight. And then the second year came around and then all of a sudden I was overwhelmed with so much work and kids juggling both and trying to have a social life. And all of a sudden it became like, I have no time to make myself healthy food. So just eating, we were eating a whole bunch of junk food and we put on so much weight after that, that putting on weight from, for me actually made it a hundred times worse than ever before. My sex drive really plummeted. It's like, I was not even, I was so, I felt so unattractive and so uncomfortable in my own body. The last thing I wanted to do is anybody get near me. I mean, I was, I was kind of like really turned off of myself. And I think he's kind of, I mean, I've lost quite a bit of weight now. It's like, you want your better half to also take care of themselves as well. And like, I felt like I was turned off of myself when I wasn't taking care of myself, but it's been since the beginning of this year that I, I am, and I kind of, I'm happy. And so my sex drive is coming back a little bit, but it's, it's, it does, is it the same thing with men? I mean, is it a lot of women? Because I see some women that, you know, maybe are not, you know, not like in the best shape of their lives, but I don't think it really affects their sex life. Or is it something that, that does affect women's sex life. I think body image impacts everybody's sex life. And it doesn't have to do with the size that you are or the shape that you are. It really is just your relationship with yourself. And if you are 20, 30, 40 pounds more than you ever were, some people are fine with that. And they love themselves regardless. And other people are, are not. And so it really is, it's how do you love yourself? How do you accept yourself? How do you feel sexy in your own body? And those are the questions that you need to be exploring within yourself. And if you find your partner's extra weight not sexy, then how do you address that with them? I mean, have you had a conversation with him around his weight? And actually we, we both did because we've kind of, we both were at this stage where we were like, not happy at all. So I was, I, I, since the beginning of this year, for me, it's like kind of an obsession that I want to get into shape and like, uh, and lose weight. And for him, I think my motivation kind of has motivated him a little bit, but it just kind of motivates him for a week. And then he like, kind of, I, I want to be supportive of him because I understand because I was really not motivated at all. So I don't want to be a bitch or a hard ass, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, like, like, a, like, for example, he, he, he comes back late from work, but he's up until like three and four o'clock in the morning. And I'm like thinking, if you're up for all those hours, why don't you go for one hour to the gym? You're doing not, you're not doing very much. And I said that to him once I said, you're, you're up late. Why don't you just take that time, come back from work and, you know, chill out for an hour and then go to hit the gym for like 30 minutes, even like twice a week. But I don't know. I just, I feel like, I don't know, but yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, maybe, maybe I should, I should probably, maybe we sh should be more honest about these things. Yeah. yeah. And compassionate too, with yourself. Another, like, what, what do you really need? What do you really want right now? What would make our relationship the best that it could ever be? And what does that look like? I wanted to ask you about like, 
vibrators seem to be the new thing, the new hot thing these days. I mean, Goop, I don't know if you know Goop. Um, Goop seems to be like launching a new one every six months. And is, is it something that's important to explore as a woman? If you, if you like, is it important to explore? Yeah, if you like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think expansion is important and that we need to try on new things for the novelty and the excitement. But it's not one size fits all. And yeah, sex toys are a big investment. They can be expensive. They can cost you a couple hundred bucks at a time. And, and then you may not like it. And then what do you do with it? Because you can't return it. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm watching these things. There's like the one that's gold plated and there's like the rabbit one. And there are these ones like these like, contra- like, like a round thing at the top. And, and apparently like the new one, like just the whole thing vibrates. And so I'm like wondering how, how do they use these? And, and yeah. And how do I get my hands on one of these? But no, no, but <laughs> I, I've heard a lot that people say that masturbating too much can never negatively affect your sex life. What do you think? Do you agree with that? Uh, what does ma- masturbation uh, mean? Something like pollution of the hands. I think that's what the term the etymology of the word masturbation. Oh, really? So that, yeah. So that's something to consider, right? So words are powerful. And I like to look at how do we please ourselves? What is self-pleasure? And so to really look at the time where you're pleasuring yourself and it doesn't necessarily need to begin and end with genital stimulation and it doesn't need to begin and end with orgasm. I don't know if you began with orgasm, I don't know, that'd be interesting, but it doesn't need to end with orgasm. It really is about exploring the sensations. I mean, that's why, that's why I wrote this book called Rediscovering My Body because in it, it's just exercises and activities to begin to explore your sensual self of what are some of the things that turn you on And again, it's not all about genital stimulation. So when I think about the opportunity to masturbate, I think about it's an opportunity for self-love and self-pleasure. And so to really engage all the senses. And so maybe you have 20 minutes, light a candle, burn some incense, get some strawberries out and, you know, just do something that's going to fill you up and make you have a pleasurable experience that you know will bring you bliss and joy. And again, it doesn't need to be about orgasm and arousal. I mean, not genital arousal. It can just be the arousal of this is what I need in this moment right now. The exploration happens as the curiosity grows. But when you allow the exploration to be led by the curiosity, it's a much different experience than I have this vibrator. And so now I need to use it and insert it, and I'm gonna overstimulate my clitoris, and that's the only way that I'm gonna be able to, you know, experience orgasm. So again, it's like pornography. It's like we have this one tool, and if we overuse it or use it as a default energy, and it is the only way, that's when it becomes problematic. But if you've got a toy, you've got pornography, if you've got a strawberry, I mean, if you got all, if you've got more tools in your repertoire, then you can have a better dance. Okay, so you you recommend basically for couples that have, you know, gotten bored of their sex life. Basically, you think it's more about communication, firstly being open with your partner, uh, being honest, being compassionate, and also experiencing that tactile kind of connection. I mean, I think one of the sexiest things that you can do with your partner 
is begin to ask for permission and slow things down. Like, is it okay if I touch you here? Is it okay if I touch you here? I mean, asking permission and really slowing things down is really sexy. But instead, oftentimes, there's this inability to speak. And then there's these assumptions. Well, I'm going to touch you here. Not only touch you here, I'm not even going to use my hands. I'm going to use my penis. I'm going to stick it here. And it's like all of these assumptions. And it's not really sexy. But when you slow things down and really speak, how does it feel when I touch you here? And you get a whole different sense of sensation. It's, it's much. So it is so like, okay. So it is like a whole new experience. It's not really about the orgasm. It's not really about the sex. It's about the connection because if it's always about orgasm, then you're always going to get the same thing, right? Because we're chasing after the elusive orgasm, but really it's about being where you're at now and experiencing the pleasure that you have in your body now, because there's tremendous amount of pleasure right now that you're not even tapping into, but if you can just slow down enough to tap into that within your own body in this moment. I loved hosting this episode with Tara. The topic of sex is an important conversation that we should be having more frequently. Sex is important for us as women to feel more feminine and desired. And for men, well, to just do it apparently. Actually, come to think of it, I'm still a little confused about the topic. But hey, I'll give that whole date night a try and let's see if we can spark a little more intimacy at a challenging time in our relationship and marriage. Thank you for joining me again on Mommy's Happy Hour. I've also added links to Tara's book. You'll find them in the show notes. I'll see you again in two weeks. 